This is a Q Media production. Leading and navigating change across a business can be overwhelming. So many leaders are handed a project by their board or CEO, and suddenly they're expected to create the vision, inspire their team, navigate roadblocks, and make some really hard decisions. It can feel like you're swimming in the ocean at night, not knowing which way to go. So how is a leader supposed to know how to drive change? The challenge is, there's no course or dummy's guide to leading change until now. This is your crash course in leading change, and I'm your guide, Lauren Ryder. In this podcast, you'll learn from top C-suite and executive leaders who've driven impactful change across their organizations. No matter what project you're leading, maybe it's a sales transformation or a restructure or a digital transformation, either way, the approach to leading change is the same. It all starts with an inspirational leader, and that's you. Today we have Craig Lachlan, who is a transformation executive. He's currently at Suncorp and in the past has run huge transformation projects at NAB, at MLC, at AGL and at Combank. So you have quite an impressive uh, resume with experience across customer transformation and organizational transformation and enterprise portfolio management. But the past five years, you've actually spent on merger and acquisition projects. So these are huge, complicated projects um, and huge financial institutions. So what is it about these projects that keeps you coming back? Mm, thanks, Lauren. Uh, it's the um, what keeps me coming back for these programs is that uh, they're really quite unique in their nature. So uh, they are typically enterprise wide. So they have big scale impact. So there's lots of breadth, lots of depth in these types of transactions. So you get to you get to get involved in the organization really from the top to the bottom and the left to the right and all the stakeholders around it. So I find that really uh, fascinating. I also find with the M&A deals in particular, and certainly the ones that I've been involved in um, the last three, uh, they are, I would describe them as tripartite relationships where you've got uh, quite different entities coming together and often they'll bring different worldviews to the table and it's about how do you bring that together synergistically so you can get the outcome uh, that the organisations and the shareholders are uh, going after. So I find that that aspect of it really fascinating uh, and it brings out the sociologist in me in terms of how you bring all these entities together to get a, a new outcome. Um, and ultimately... They are they are material events in the marketplace, and so it's really important that we um, we do them well and get them right. So, how did you get to where you are today? Tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, my background, so a little bit of a hint there with the sociologist comment. So, um, I actually did sociology as an undergrad um, many many moons ago. Um, and so I've always been fascinated in organisations and I've been fascinated in how they come together and how they operate within an ecosystem. Uh, so that's, that's always been a real um, interest of mine, looking at things at enterprise scale and, and so forth. The, uh, the other thing, I worked out fairly early on in my career that uh, the only thing that was constant was change. And so... I was like, right, I need to get into this uh, project management, program management, change management field because um, for me it was like something that was really interesting and fascinating. I'm curious about it. Uh, and it was something that I saw that was going to always be there. There was always going to be a need for someone to help lead and drive change. So those two things really led me into 
you know, if I go back far enough back in the history, which you outlined before, um, project management through to program management through to running um, enterprise portfolios, um, large-scale transformational change, and then more recently, as we've talked about, into the M&A space. So your role when you go into organisations becomes an executive, you know, running this transformation. Yep. So obviously your background is more on the project delivery side, but then your role is to kind of lead this change. How do you, would you describe your role to somebody? Um, perhaps the analogy I'll use here is the, the babblefish. Think of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Um, part of my job is really to listen really hard and to join all the dots together. So... When you think it, when you're dealing with the organisation, there are many, many parts to that organisation, both you know, right across the breadth and depth, as I mentioned before. And you know, I'll be the first to admit I'm no expert in any one particular aspect of the business, but I understand how the business works from an end-to-end perspective and collectively how it comes together to create an outcome. So, um, so it's really interesting to uh, get involved in those entities in that regard and then when you join up with other entities you're creating another new whole and sort of the the phrase I'd use there is that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts and um, so it, it, it is really interesting when you when you create those forces. So really these projects that we've talked about are massive so maybe just so we can understand a little bit more you know maybe a couple of the projects you've been on whether you're on the acquisition side or the divestment side maybe just kind of describe what happens in them? So the the two uh, deals with NAB, so the first was the uh, separation and sale of MLC Wealth Business to, it was IWF at the time, it's now known as Insignia. And then the second deal, which I'll talk to, was the acquisition of Citibank. So the interesting story with the MLC Wealth deal was the original endeavour was to separate the organisation from NAB and, and really set it free as a standalone organisation. And so it was about um, really unstitching it from the mothership. And if you can imagine uh, the corporates uh, that spent a lot of time, uh, particularly in financial services, stitching the, the wealth businesses in particular into the, the broader financial service business, um, which means from an enterprise perspective, you look for synergies through um, bringing aggregation in your customer database space and your CRMs and your, um, uh, all your enterprise supporting capabilities across finance, risk, people, uh, etc. And so you've really got to unstitch all of that. And so we set about to create a standalone business. So we had to design what that looked like. We had to design the organisation. And then, uh, as well as unstitching and migrating data from NAB into this new entity, we obviously had to build some new capability to support it as well. The interesting thing with that deal was that um, probably two-thirds, maybe even three-quarters of the way through that creation of a standalone entity, um, we had a deal put on the table from IWF to buy it, in which case was a massive pivot for the program. And the key point there is we actually had to stand down quite a lot of work. Um, because IWF already had those requisite systems that we were about to go and build, so we had to stop a lot of those programs, and it really became about uh, more of a migration program of capability, people capability, data into IWF. On the Citibank acquisition, so that was so that MLC Wealth was a divestment for Citibank, an acquisition. 
And so on the acquisition side, uh, there was no technology that we acquired, but it was all about the assets and liabilities and and the people was a big part of that, the capability of um, the Citibank organisation in Australia, bringing that into NAB um, was a real uh, goal that the organisation that NAB was going after. So the thing that was um, probably really important in that particular program of work was being really clear about the deal value, being really clear about the goal. And as leaders, it's about providing that clarity. And so it was really saying, okay, well, if this is the objective and the objective is always a win-win. You're going after a win-win outcome, both for the 800 odd people in uh, Citigroup, which were coming into NAB, and for NAB itself that we really wanted to grow shareholder value um, through the capability that it was acquiring. And so we really set about setting up the program so that we could protect that deal value. Um, and so you're really cognizant of it right the way through the life cycle of that program. And so you put in place a framework and an infrastructure to support that um, and you keep the deal value intact. So that there's, there's some attributes of uh, two of the deals in particular. Very complicated. Now, um, if we look at these big projects, I mean, any of the big transformation that you're going to jump into, there has to be some sort of a program vision, something that we share yep. with the organisation. How do you go about creating these sorts of visions? I'm guessing a lot of the employees would either be moving between organisations or potentially not have a job at the end of this. How do you kind of keep people excited about something for the future where it may or may not be clear for them? Yeah, if I refer back to the Citibank acquisition, it was really clear to us that from a people perspective, this was about creating uh, a win both for NAB and for Citibank employees. So um, we were really clear right from the outset that the, there was a unique set of capability in Citibank um, that NAB really wanted to leverage and to, and to learn from and to grow from and expand from. And so we were very clear about that. And and uh, we, you know, if I think back to um, working with the group development and the change management teams around how we went about the process of onboarding, we, we actually um, created a fantastic onboarding guide. The change team did a great job of it. And, and in fact, as an employee of NAB, I looked at it and said, I wish I had that when I joined NAB. <laughs> it, was, it was the A to Z, everything you needed to know when you were going to join an organisation. And it was really well put together. The team did a fantastic job. Um, so we did that and we did that in concert with things like setting up um, buddy systems. So where a lot of the leaders and, and uh, managers and so forth were set up with buddies across the NAB group so that they could get in and get an understanding, build relationships, um, because obviously you're coming from a, a – while City Group is a very large organisation in Australia, relatively small, so you're coming into a NAB organisation, which again is, is a large organisation. So there's quite a shift in terms of how you operate um, within those within those larger entities. And so it was about really helping the team understand that and, and helping them finding their homes uh, within the organisation. So, I mean, it sounds like very complex stakeholder management yep. within the organisation. It sounds like you had some change teams, so no one was left behind. It sounds like yep. everyone's come on the journey. But, you know, when we're talking about stakeholders, it's not just, you know, the users or, or the, the employees. You know, we're also talking about you've, you've got some complicated stakeholders like boards and APRA and, you know, external organisations. How do you keep it all aligned between, you know, all of those organisations as well as uh, within the company you're working with? Mm. I'll use the MLC Wealth example because that was a fascinating one. And I, I mentioned earlier about the... Um, 
the sort of the tripartite relationship. So think about it in the context of uh, NAB, who are uh, selling. Think about it as IWF, who are purchasing. And if you think about it as MLC Wealth as an entity itself, which is uh, moving out of NAB and into IWF. Um, so those those three parties all have different views on the transaction. So you've got to negotiate um, those views to get a, a common outcome or a win-win outcome for everyone. To your point, um, you also exist within a highly regulated environment. And in this particular acquisition, APRA uh, actually asked the Newlist Trustee Board, who has oversight obviously over the um, MLC Wealth business in particular, and... Uh, the, the APRA question was a great question, which was to the Newless Trustee Board was, do you believe this deal is in the best interests of the customer? And so we ended up in this uh, situation where the board rightly said to uh, myself as, as the execution uh, leader on this, uh, how do we facilitate this process? We um, worked with our legal counsel and others to create a, a fairly extensive list of um, questions that needed to be satisfied in order for the board to be satisfied and pro to provide that advice back to APRA. That was a very intense period of, um, I would say, uh, not, not so much negotiation, but bringing together all the parties together. Now, there was some information. You, you're also in an environment of asymmetrical information. So not all parties have equal visibility of information. And so you had to be very careful in terms of who was presenting to board, which content, etc. Um, so that was really, really quite tricky to navigate. And I think in a period of a three-month period, uh, we created a, a subcommittee for the board. We met every fortnight. We furnished uh, 34 papers in that three-month period. So there was an enormous amount of content that we had to um, aggregate very quickly together to be able to um, provide to that subcommittee. And then they met, then made a recommendation to the chair. And, and fortunately, they made the recommendation that this was... Uh, a deal that was going to be in the interests of customer. So that was a great outcome, but it was a very complex set of stakeholders to manage and bring together. Um, and it was, back to my earlier point, it was really important. Every t every artefact that I looked at was about going, is this about um, uh, understanding what the outcome is going to create? And really important to understand that. Leading transformational change can be challenging without a community of like-minded professionals where you can learn and practice the real skills of transformation. I am excited to share that Jez Tile has just launched an incredible online global community of transformation professionals. And let me tell you, it is a game changer. It's called People of Transformation, and it's a deep dive beyond the theories, beyond the frameworks, and straight into actionable excellence. It will allow you to shift from problem seeking to opportunity creation, and eventually, future shaping. So if you're ready to lead the charge, head to peopleoftransformation.com and use the code LEADINGCHANGE at checkout for your special offer. Founding member spots are limited, so don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. So you've, you've just spoken about, you know, getting all these stakeholders on board, but, mm. you know, when you're actually running the project and you're trying to shape that solution, do you have any sort of tools or tricks or facilitation advice that you can kind of give people to how to get people on board quickly? 
Oh, which tool do I pull out of the tool bag? <laughs> there's, there's a few. Um, I think firstly, it's really important as leaders to create clarity quickly. So that is about being very clear about the vision. And it's about constantly engaging with your teams about that vision and reminding people of the purpose, why we're here, what we're going after. Secondly, it's about how we're going to go after it. So for me, uh, it's really important to establish the governance framework really quickly. Um, it will iterate over time, but if you can provide the governance framework really quickly uh, and you're transparent with it, then people understand the guardrails. And so they, they then know, okay, so here's the goal we're going after, here's the vision, here's the framework that we're going to operate within, so we've got the guardrails set, and then it's about empowerment. So it's about allowing teams to operate within that. Um, as I've talked about before, these, these are very broad and deep, complex programs of work. So you can't be expected to be across all details of all streams at all points in time. So you've really got to um, ensure that you've got a really strong set of capability in your leadership group and you empower that group to operate within those guardrails to be able to execute on their plans of work. The other point I'd make uh, as a leader is it's also the role of a leader is really um, uh, two really important things. One, it's like organising synchronised swimming because you've got so many parts, so many moving parts, and it's about making sure that all the parts are moving together so it's actually really well choreographed. So it's about seeing that design pattern from an end-to-end -end perspective. Um, the second point is as a leader... Uh, I believe your key role is really you're like a cheerleader. So you actually set the cadence and the tone. And so uh, when you are starting out, there's there's many moving parts. You, you are not entirely clear of everything that you've got to do. And so your pace tends to be a little bit slower at the start. But as you um, progress through the transaction, you've got to build momentum. So your cadence is you're constantly monitoring your cadence and, and driving up as you increase the intensity of the program. And so it's quite a deliberate um, approach that I take to uh, cadence in terms of how you're communicating the messages you're communicating. And it's also, as the cheerleader, you need to be very visible. Um, so it is about um, being with your teams and your people as, as much as you possibly can and helping them solve problems and um, move things forward. So, you know, a lot of leaders come on these projects and mm. it sounds like you've got a great support system that you've created. And I'm, I'm guessing you use your change people to help with messaging and yeah. getting all that through and, and making sure everything happens. But, you know, day to day, managers and leaders, they, they've got stuff to do. They've actually got a day to day job as well as catching this, this change. <laughs> so, you know, when, when someone kind of gets a bit distracted or they've got a lot on their plate, this isn't their one priority how do we pick them back up? How do we, A, find where that gap is, right? Because sometimes it, you don't really see it if they're not engaging. And then how do we pull them back in line to make sure we're, we're all heading the same direction? Yeah, it's tough. Um, because of the breadth and depth of the work, often you will have people from the business engaged in your program and they are juggling other other factors as well, such as the, the BA work from time to time. I, in an ideal world, you would have them 100% dedicated to the program. In an ideal world, it is the transactions, the number one thing you want them focused on. Um, that's in an ideal world. It's not an ideal world that we live in. It's, it's um, uh, there's, there's ambiguity for people. Um, there's often in these large enterprises, um, overlapping roles and responsibilities and so forth. So 
It is about, um, as I said earlier, in terms of from a communication perspective, really reiterating the value of the transaction, the importance of the transaction. Fortunately for me, um, certainly the last few transactions have been, you know, in the really in the top five priorities for those organisations in terms of things that they're going after. So, from a priority perspective, it's it's relatively straightforward on these deals, and I know that's not the case for everyone. Um, so. Uh, then from a BAU perspective, it, it is about um, leveraging BAU as much as you can. And as I say, if you can, really creating that um, clarity between the, the day-to-day work versus the programmatic work. And I would really strenuously argue for full-time people on the program. Um, they are intense pieces of work. They are of long tenure. They're not short programs of work. So. Uh, I would argue fairly strongly to have people dedicated to the work so that they don't have those other distractions if possible. So backfill the roles where you can. Um, I think that's another important point actually is that uh, and it's these transactions are long in tenure and the schedule is not always in your control. So again, it might be subject to regulator rulings and timings and so forth. Um, and that also um, adds another challenge to your work. So speaking of timing, so, mm. you know, when, when we're putting these projects together, I'm guessing they always have a date. Like you, you, you're aiming for a date that you're trying to hit and you know, we call that day one in, yep. uh, in project land. Now, the thing is, we actually have to prepare not just for that, but also for the ongoing. And I think, you know, the, the great analogy is, you know, this, this is your wedding day, day one, but it's actually the marriage we need to look after. And, yep. and how do we set up for that? So how do you balance the two of those? Uh, that's a great question because uh, from a deal value perspective, it is the marriage. That's where the value comes from. Um, you know, if you, if you think of the program as a game of two halves, your first half is about really set up and getting to legal day one or completion. And so it is about extracting the data, the people, it's landing them safely in their new home and their new environments, etc. Um, part two is often exiting off transitional service agreements uh, and really embedding the change into the, into the home base, into the organisation where it's landing. Uh, it's really critical. Um, I do spend a lot of time uh, on all these transactions with the transactional service agreements, so making sure that they are going to be fit for purpose. Uh, and, and importantly, that we've got a what I would call the day two exit plan, that you've got a robust plan that you know with a certain level of confidence you can exit off those transitional service agreements within the requisite time period. You, you, um, you're fairly loath to running beyond those periods of time. These things are expensive to run. And so um, the criticality of your day two planning is, is really important. You've got to have a quality plan. And so I would always encourage to invest um, time and effort into a quality day two plan. Uh, often your team working on your day two plan might be a different team to what you use for your day one work. Um, that's the nature of your program. So your program over a long period of time will change as well in terms of the type and nature of work that you're doing as well. And so you need to be really cognizant of that as you're designing and, and building your teams uh, to be able to exit. 
So when you were describing um, the first project, the, the MLC project, and mm. you mentioned all of the different factors, we're talking structures, technology, etc. Yeah. You know, when you start talking about pulling technology apart from mm. one organization to another and transferring data, I mean, there are so many layers of complexity yeah. that come in, in my head. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, you, you know, you've you hit them all, all the problems. Ever what are some of the big gotchas? What are the things people need to look at? Um. Look, a big area of focus is also in the contract space. So uh, the, a lot of third parties are involved here. So when uh, an interesting point when you're doing these transactions is it becomes quite a forensic exercise into the, the depth of your organisation. And you, it, it's really when you do an exercise this, like this, you suddenly realise, crikey, there are a lot of contracts here. There are a lot of third parties that make up this entity and make it whole. And um, so uh, there's real complexity uh, working uh, with those vendors in terms of helping them understand the transaction. And, and then they've, they've got to think about both the, the organisation they're currently serving plus the new target and what does that mean in terms of uh, their commercial arrangements so that's really important to them as well as it is to um, the buyers and sellers um, I also think from a technology perspective as you say um, the complexity a lot of the complexity is really in the data space and so when a set of data in one organization um, is stored in a particular way and used in a particular way and it might be stored and used in a slightly different way in the receiving organization and so that whole um, extract, transform, load into the target state is a complex undertaking. And in fact, in um, in the Citibank acquisition for NAB, there's actually quite a bit of investment work that needs to happen in the NAB systems to be able to consume the Citibank data, um, to be able to bring that on board. Uh, so um, things like that really add to the complexity. And so it's when you deep dive into it and you go, yes, there is... <laughs> understatement, I know, but there's a lot, enormous amount of complexity in that work. So you're talking about adding levels of complexity, mm. but it sounds like that's adding a lot of money to the cost of the project if you start uncovering these challenges. So you know, how do you go with a budget? Like, you know, obviously, yep. you know things are going to crop up. How do you manage that? Uh, the budget is really challenging. Um, and as you say, uh, things always crop up. So you can't plan for the the perfect scenario. It's very difficult to plan for the perfect scenario. So you've, you've got an element of contingency in your plan, an element of, uh, or an element of risk that you need to think about, whether that be um, new scope that gets identified, whether that be schedule that moves because timeframes move, um, regulated dates move, etc. So that, that extends your program. Um, so you really need to think quite hard about how you um, position that. I think um, I'll go back to some organisational theory as well, is that uh, teams reach certain sizes where um, they are optimal and you don't want to blow that up. So really um, what I look for is actually the optimal sizing of teams. And I know that uh, certainly the three deals that I've worked on in the last five or six years, interestingly enough, when I look at all three of them, they all actually land around about the same profile. Um, both from a uh, person commitment, number of FTE or headcount that you've got involved in your program, um, scale and complexity of work has been very similar. And so I've, I've got those benchmarks that I can look back on as well. 
and you can you know you can compare and trust there's always uniqueness but um you you really have a sense of the scale and the effort that it takes to do this work uh, over a longitudinal period and so it is about using those benchmarks uh and then it is about um what is the optimal size team one of the points I made with the Citibank acquisition is the team reaches a certain size where um, you add any mu- much more into it and it can actually internally combust. So as you grow, your, your governance frameworks actually need to change as well uh, in terms of how you govern and lead those things. And so it's really important to always be juggling that governance framework, your size of your teams, managing that against the budget. I uh, Probably the final point I'd make on budget is... I consider budget, um, I take it as personal accountability um, and therefore my view is once we've formed a top level view of what that budget looks like, it's about um, delegating it out and holding people to account and it's about a a fixed budget. So often on these programs you'll hear, oh, I need a few more resources to do X, Y and Z. It's like, okay, but what are the options? What are the trade-offs here? So we need to look at that at a large scale view uh, and go what are the trade-offs that we need to make across the program because you might need to wind some pieces down to add some up etc but ultimately from a deal value perspective you want to stay within the parameters that you set from the outset Um, it's a big decision to go beyond the uh, parameters as you set in the in the deal at the outset as businesses grow enterprise change teams are expected to deliver more but it can be challenging to keep all your company's change planning aligned. Documents get lost or out of date, and executives can't get a clear report on your enterprise change activities. Until now. Change Plan is the incredible connected platform that gives you a powerful, easy-to-use workspace. You'll get all your reporting at a click, an automated front door process, an org chart synced in with your HR system, and the best part? portfolio dashboards for leaders. It is the most comprehensive and user-friendly change tool I have seen on the market. And the results speak for themselves. Teams who use ChangePlan experience a 30% bump in productivity and up to 50% reduction in change saturation. If you want to see ChangePlan in action, head over to changeplan.co slash leading change to set up an obligation-free demo for your team. So we're talking about, you know, bringing all of these people across through this change. Mm. What are some of the tactics that you found work really well from an organizational change perspective to really get people excited, on board, understanding the change? You know, what's different to these types of projects and maybe some others? I'm not sure whether it's different to other projects or other transformations of this um, scale, but I really uh, can't reiterate enough the importance of regular communication and engagement and I'm going to add to that authenticity with your engagement so people can smell a rat right so if if you're telling a story which is not true to what people are feeling on the ground you know you're gonna you're gonna your trust factor is gonna diminish fairly quickly so um, for me it is about authenticity it's about being real about where you're at um, the, the challenges be upfront about the challenges that you're dealing with Um, And engage early. So I think one of the things, uh, in my view, that was uh, really well done in the MLC Wealth transaction when it moved to IWF was 
IWF were very clear about the structure changes that they were going to go through. So they were very transparent about that and they were transparent about the timing of when they were going to do these things. And so that gave people an element of certainty because really what you want to do through your communications of your vision, your goals, is about um, clarity and certainty for people. And if they've got that, then people can make decisions about what they want to do um, within those within those frameworks. So... Um, really turning up, being authentic, providing clarity of message, being willing to roll up your sleeves and help solve problems. We're, we're forever in the job of solving problems. Um, but also knowing when to get out as well, when to sort of um, continue to lead from a vision perspective. And with those engagements, I mean, one like is it one way? Is it two way? How do you? I mean, how do you balance that with so many people that you're engaging with? Oh, it's got to be two way. It's got to be two way. So. Um, the uh, the great Ralph Norris, um, the ex, uh, chief executive of Combank. And I think we were at Combank the same time yes, under I think, Mr. I think, Norris. I think we might have been, um, and he might have uh, said to us at one point, he said, um, you have two ears and one mouth, use them in that proportion. And uh, it's absolutely spot on. So start with listening and listen and walk the floor um walk the Zoom calls or the Teams calls, um, really pr- make sure you provide opportunity for people to speak up and provide safe places for people to talk um, uh, is really quite important to listen, listen, listen. Yeah, and then I think do something about it. And do something about <laughs> it, follow through. So that goes to the accountability point, right? Yes. Which is, um, again, provide that clarity, clarity in terms of accountability and in terms of outcome that you're looking for and then let the teams get on and do it and help out where they need help. I'm, I'm a big fan, by the way, of, um, uh, you know, in the, in the pro- project world, program land, we always talk about the uh, the reds, the greens and the ambers. Um, reds, absolutely fine because on these transactions there's always something that's going to be really complex and we just don't know how to solve it yet and that's absolutely fine. So that's an indicator that we can get on and solve things. I always look a bit sideways at the ambers because I'm not sure whether people are looking for help or sort of covering covering themselves a little bit. Um, I, I, I tend to err towards, are you green and good? You got this thing under control? Or do you need, do you need some help? Just let us know if you need some help. Yeah, yes, it can be quite black and white, can't it? It can be a bit, I can be a bit binary <laughs> on that one. Because <laughs> in the ambers, I'm like, no, oh, that's the amber is sort of short for ambiguity, really. Yeah. I'd rather have clarity. Do you need help or have you got this under control? Yeah, absolutely. So talking about you, so, I mean, you've mm. been on these big projects. There's got to be a lot of pressure. Has anything kind of happened that sort of made you question, like, am I in the right place? <laughs> this is really <laughs> hard. And how did, how did you get through it? Because clearly you're still doing it. I thought you were going to ask me, um, are you shortly going to retire? <laughs> 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 um, I think uh, I love my work. I'm very fortunate and I literally, I, I was reflecting on this the other day, looking at all the jobs that I've done. I've loved all my jobs. I've been very fortunate to be in, uh, I've worked with great people, I've had great bosses, I've had great teams. There's always been bumps in the road from time to time, but nothing material that I haven't been able to overcome or move on from. Um, I think resilience and endurance are important attributes that any leader needs to have um there's a great book out there grit by angela duckworth um uh, and there's a phrase in there which really resonates with me which is that effort counts twice 
And so uh, it is about persistence. Um, it is about recognition that there's always going to be problems to solve. And uh, once you've solved them, there's probably going to be some more that pop up, but that's okay. Um, to me, that's the excitement. That's the challenge. That's the chase. That's the thrill, you know, is to go after those problems and help people solve problems and move into move into better spaces. Yeah, don't, don't just don't take it personally. <laughs> it's don't not about you. <laughs> try not to take it personally. <laughs> personally, I try very hard not to take it personally. I've been known to slip in the past, but um, <laughs> yeah. But it, I think it is important. Um, you know, one of the things I tell my kids all the time is that uh, for every problem, there are at least three solutions. You just might not have thought of all of those solutions yet. So keep trying. That's right. <laughs> So if we're going to wrap up, you know, what are some tips, what are some tricks to other leaders who are taking on a project you know, and, and they're about to, to jump right in? Uh, I think you've got to go into it eyes wide open, like they're endurance events. They are uh, long programs of work and it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster because timeframes might move, um, you're dealing with tripartite parties as I, as I mentioned earlier and so you've, you've got to be uh, willing and able to steer into that. Um, you've also got really got to be, I take sort of uh, my role as being a line one risk manager really importantly. It's about managing the risk as well. So go in there with a view around um, you're going to be dealing with imperfect data, you're going to be dealing with asymmetric data, you've got to manage the risk and you've got to manage to the deal value. So if you go in there um, understanding that environment and if you go in there with a view that you can create clarity and help bring the teams together so that you are that synchronised swim team um, and have fun along the way as well. Like uh, the people, I love working with the people that I work with and um, I like to see people enjoying their work. So really, you know, enjoy the work. Be curious, listen to people, help them solve problems and, and enjoy your work. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks so much, Craig, for being here today. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for your time, Lauren.